If you're a guest with us, um, just draw your attention briefly uh, to your bulletin. Uh, you should have been handed one on the way in. Inside it is an insert that has a lot of uh, information about upcoming activities, current activities, uh, ways to get involved, ways to take your next step, uh, ways to serve. But a very important part for us is a flap in there that's perforated. It's called the connection card. If you are a new guest with us, that is one of the best ways for us to connect with you the first time. Uh, It allows you to share only what you're comfortable sharing with us and we can reach out. Um, For anybody, if there are decisions you're contemplating as far as it comes to your faith following Jesus, maybe being a part of Lebanon Christian Church, then uh, that's a great way to let us know. Um, For anyone, it's a great way to update addresses, to ask us to pray for you. Uh, The prayer requests that get turned in, um, if they're marked confidential, they get sent to our ministry staff. Um, If they're not marked confidential, they go out to our prayer team. And so uh, that's a way for you to stay engaged and we can stay engaged with you and be a part of your life. Um, Valentine's Day for Audrey and I is a pretty special day. Uh, and I know that for some of you, like, there's mixed reviews when it comes to Valentine's Day, right? Uh, some of you are looking out to Thursday with anticipation. You're like, I can't wait. Uh, the, the flowers are ordered. The chocolates are ordered. The dinner reservation's made. Uh, some of you are looking out with a little bit of heartache towards Valentine's Day. Uh, some of you have really bad memories of Valentine's Day. You're like, man, this I got stiffed at the restaurant, and, and you know, I don't have anybody in my life. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's like crying buckets of tears day because you're still alone and you're still single. Like, I don't know what Valentine's Day is for you, but for Audrey and I, it's kind of unique because this Thursday, uh, February 14th, 2019, It'll be our 19th Valentine's Day together. Um, And while that may not seem unique, okay, of course, you probably went on dates on Valentine's Day, Craig. Well, our first Valentine's Day wasn't a date. Um, Our first Valentine's Day was actually um, Audrey doing me and my mother a favor. Um, So here's how the story goes. And my mom's here today, so I'm trying to be really careful about the story that I tell. Just remember, this is my version and my interpretation of events. She may have a different interpretation of events. If you are a mother in the room and your children have gone off to college, you have dreams for them, right? And sometimes those dreams involve them marrying a nice, uh, if it's a, ch- a son, it's a nice woman. If it's a daughter, it's a, it's a nice man. And, and you kind of let your, your brain go down the path of what happens next, how many grandchildren, and will they, will they live close, and, and will they take care of me? And, and so in my mother's mind, her second oldest son is a senior in the year 2000 at, at Johnson University. He's getting ready to graduate uh, he's going to go into the ministry as she's going through the vault in her mind of all the ministers she knows they all have one thing in common. They're married. She thinks about her son at Johnson who has never had a serious relationship. And so I'm 21 years old. I call home to my mom on Valentine's Day. We're talking. We're having a conversation. And, and the way I remember it is that my mom was really worried for me and my future. Um, she asked about my plans for Valentine's Day, and I told her that, well, I had some friends that were going bowling and going out for pizza, but, but I decided to stay home, and you could just almost hear the whimpering on the other end of the line, like, you can't be alone on Valentine's Day. And so we had this conversation, and she said, surely there's somebody that you can just ask to go, to go, to go out on Valentine's Day. And, and so I started going, going through my mind, and I thought of this girl named Audrey Delgado that I had developed kind of a friendship with. But, but really, although my mind had at times gone to how beautiful she was and how cute she was and, and, and the what if, you know, um, 
maybe we, we could work out. Like, I looked in the mirror and I was like, that's probably not going to happen. And, uh, and, and so, like, it's like, we just purely were in the friendship. And, and mom was like, well, Craig, you know, I'll tell you what, you just call her up, see if she'll go to dinner. I'll send you a check in the mail. I will pay for it. Like, like please don't be alone on Valentine's Day. So I got off the phone with my mom. I picked up the phone again and I called Audrey in her dorm room. And I tried to give her this whole story. Oh, here's the deal. I was supposed to go out with friends, and, and that didn't work out. And I called my mom, and, and my, my mom didn't want me to be alone on Valentine's Day. So, so will, will, you, will you go to dinner with me to make my mom happy? Like, it's as lame as it sounds, okay? And, and Audrey will vouch for this story, okay? But she said yes. And so I pick her up, and we go to Barley's Pizzeria and Tap Room in the old city of Knoxville. Uh, we eat sausage and cheese pizza, and we play Go Fish. Uh, we, we come back, and... I have, had no idea in that moment that that one dinner at my mom's urging would completely change my life. I had no idea the beauty and the mystery and the joy and the heartache and the refining that would come through 19 years, almost 19 years of marriage uh, to Audrey. And so it's been incredible. Uh, you need to know that our marriage is probably a lot like yours, probably a lot more like yours than you think. Um, we get upset with each other and we say things that we probably shouldn't. And we try to love each other and encourage each other through the hardest times. Uh, we can even finish each other's sandwiches, right? Frozen. Um, your Frozen reference. One of the best romantic movies of... No, it's not. Um, so guess what we did for coming up on 19 years of Valentine's Days together? We went to a marriage retreat Friday night and into Saturday. And some may wonder, well, why, why would you choose to go to a marriage retreat when you've been together for 19 years? And it's because while we love each other and we appreciate some of the greatest things about each other, um, we, like you, sometimes can grow a little too casual and uh, be a little too mundane about those things that are most important to us. And so our hope was, or my hope was, that in us going, it would kind of breathe new life into an old relationship. When I say old, don't think about it being tired. Don't think about it being frayed. It's not moldy or musty. Like, like it is just old with age. And sometimes when things grow old with age, you've been a part of them for a long time, um, you don't appreciate them as much. You don't reflect upon them the same. And so we went away to this marriage retreat with some friends, and uh, it was a great experience to be reminded of how important uh, not only are we to God, but we are to each other. I think that all of us can relate to that. Maybe it's not with a marriage, maybe it's not with a romantic relationship, but it's something there's something in your life that you've been around for a really long time and you've just become comfortable with it. It's just kind of become old hat to you. And so maybe it doesn't have the same appreciation, the same allure, the same significance perhaps as it once did. And we need to breathe new life into those things that are old. Not because they're tired old or frayed old or moldy, musty old, but just because they're old. They're, they've been around some of those things relate to our lives as followers of Jesus. There are ways that God's people have been worshiping him, been honoring him, been expressing praise to him through the centuries that we participate in even to this day. There are some things that we do and we have done for 1,986 years since, if we look at 33 AD, there Jesus uh, died for us, was buried, was raised again, and ascended. That's 1,986 years ago. 
Like there are things that we have done as people who worship him and align our lives around Jesus for 1,986 years. And some of those things that we've done for 1,986 years, things like communion and things like baptism and things like giving, giving offerings, which goes even further back than that, and things like singing and worship, which goes back even further than that, sometimes they just become old. They feel a little stale. And so how can we breathe new life into old faith? The goal of this series, Fresh, is that we would, we would come to a place where we have a deeper appreciation for some of those most significant things that are part of the worship of God's people. Um, you may have guessed it that uh, today we're going to be looking at communion, uh, where uh, we gather each week and during a part of our worship experience, we pass some trays and we have these double cups and we'll take the bread that we say represents Jesus' body and We'll take the juice that we say represents his blood. If you're in a really cool church, they have wine. Sorry, we're not that cool. Um, we say it represents his, his blood and the new covenant that he made with us. Why is that such an important part of what we do? In future weeks, when we look at um, baptism next week, why is that such an important part of what we do? When, when we look ahead to uh, th- three weeks from now, uh, February 24th, um, one of your guys' favorite preachers, Tom Harrigan, is going to be here to share with us about singing uh, in, in, in worship. And uh, why do we still sing? Uh, on March 3rd, we'll look at, the, look at the offering. Don't let that scare you. I think it's a great time to see why we do what we do. How can we breathe new life into old faith? The hope of this series is, is really uh, threefold. If you are a follower of Jesus, here's our hope for you, our prayer for you, is that you would grow to look at these great things of the faith, these elements of the faith um, with renewed eyes, uh, that you would be encouraged, that you would be challenged, that there would be a deeper appreciation for you, that, 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 that you would, you would kind of go back to that sense of wonder maybe when you first believed and, and why these things were so important to your faith practice and really the faith practice of God's people for 1,986 years. Um, if you're someone who's just starting to follow Jesus or, or maybe you, you, you followed him as a child and you kind of wandered away and you're just kind of getting back to exploring faith again, maybe for you the, the elements in the worship of the church kind of look like this puzzle that's unfinished and there are some missing pieces, maybe patches of puzzle pieces missing. My hope is that those puzzle pieces all get put into place uh, so what you once saw in part, you'll now see in whole. If you're not a follower of Jesus, Here's our prayer for you. We know that you're in the room, is that you will grow to understand these things that maybe for you seem somewhat weird. Like, um, why do they pass cups that have pieces of bread? Like, that's not even a cracker. Like, <laughs> that, that is like a, a choking hazard, right? I mean, it's like, like why, why do they do that? Why, why do they give juice? And it's not even enough to wash down the cracker that they gave you. Like, like what's the point? Why, why is there a baptistry at the front of the room? Why do people do that? Why, why, do, why do we give offerings? And, and, and why do we sing? I hope that you'll see that as this way to just um, be invited in, almost like an invitation to be welcome in to understand some of the greatest mysteries of what we believe as Christians And if I'm really honest with you, my hope is that as you're invited in to see why we do what we do, that you'll get a taste of how absolutely incredible the God that made you is and that you'll want to jump into that life right alongside of us. So let's start with communion. Why? Why why is it so important? Why has the church for 1,986 years shared in this thing called the Lord's Supper? Then some of you may have grown up in a tradition where you called it the Eucharist. 
Um, uh, people maybe from a more formal liturgical church background. It's called the Eucharist. That simply means Thanksgiving. It's because when Jesus shared in the Lord's Supper with his, the last supper with his disciples, he gave thanks for the bread and for the body, and he asked us to give thanks. So it's the Eucharist. Uh, maybe some of you grew up in a tradition where at the front of your auditorium or your sanctuary was this uh, table that said, do this in remembrance of me. And there were two guys that would stand up at the front, and, and when they would talk, they would invite you to come around the Lord's table. Maybe that's a, a word you've heard. Or maybe you've heard the word communion. But it's all speaking of the same thing. Why is it so important? I think one of the reasons is simply because it has been a part of the life of God's people for 1,986 years. And here's, I don't have proof of this, but here's what I would submit to you is that I really think it's not just something that's been casually observed for 1,986 years. I bet that we could find in the history of the church, God's people, since he ascended into heaven, moving in, in the minds and the hearts of, of his people, his disciples, that every day for the last 1,986 years, somewhere, someplace in the world, there were a group of believers gathered around thinking about his body and his blood and what it means to them. So it's important on the surface because if, if the church has done this ever since Jesus lived, ever since Jesus observed it in the upper room with his disciples, then that means that there's some significance to it. But, but it goes even, even deeper than that. And for that, I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11 is a common place. Um, I, I know in our church practice, we typically pause towards the uh, middle of our worship experiences and, and someone comes out, a minister or another leader, and they share some, some thoughts about communion and uh, we, we then pass some trays and we share that together. And, and, and this is a popular passage that we read from is 1 Corinthians 11. We, we, we could go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The, each of what we call the Gospels, these accounts of Jesus' life, uh, contain uh, details about what happened in that upper room. But I land here for a couple reasons. Uh, one, uh, because there's some other background that Paul gives to what's happening among these Corinthian believers that I think hits home to us I think it shows how maybe their faith had grown old and they needed some new life in their old faith. Uh, I land here because I think he gives a great synopsis of all that the Lord's Supper is intended to be, and it gives us some great next steps. Uh, the letter to the Corinthians here that we have as 1 Corinthians, I shared with you a few weeks ago, is actually the second letter that Paul wrote to these believers in Corinth. If we go back through history, and if you'd follow along with me, it's in, in Acts chapter 18. Uh, as the church is growing, as Paul is this great missionary going out and sharing with people who Jesus is, uh, he travels on one of his missionary journeys to the city of Corinth. In Acts 18, we learn that he's there like a year and a half. So he develops this deep relationship with the Corinthian believers. And I think he's in Corinth a long time because Corinth was a challenging place to share with other people about Jesus. Uh, if you look at Corinth on a map, I showed you this like on January 13th. Um, it sits on this isthmus um, uh, in, in, in the Mediterranean Sea. And so you have the, actually the Aegean and the Adriatic uh, surround it, and there's these port cities. The, this port city like has two ports for Corinth. And so that meant there was all kinds of traffic that came into Corinth. It was this crossroads. It was this multicultural community. It was a collage of people and religions and customs, and it, it provided all these opportunities for pleasure. And so anytime you have people that are used to living and indulging in all of these things, and someone comes and shares with you the way of Jesus, which admittedly is more narrow, people are going to struggle. And so the Corinthians struggle. Word gets to Paul after he leaves Corinth that they're struggling. And so in 1 Corinthians 5.9, the second letter, he refers to the first letter. Uh, I, I wrote you previously. 
the, the first letter was probably an encouragement as he got a report that things were struggling there. Hey, guys, you kind of got to get your act together. Um, and so they write Paul back and say, well, here's some questions we have. What did you really mean by this? What's really most important with this? Here, here are the struggles we're having in our church. And so Paul writes the second letter back, which we know is 1 Corinthians, to address some of those concerns. Well, it turns out that the believers in Corinth didn't exactly want to follow the directions in that second letter. Word gets back to Paul that they're still struggling. They're actually being a little bit dismissive. And so Paul writes what we call the third letter or the tearful letter, the severe letter, and it's referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Well, that kind of shakes them up, kind of wakes them up, and so Paul writes a fourth letter to encourage them, which is actually 2 Corinthians. So at least four letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are the second and fourth letters respectively. So this first um, Corinthians in, in our Bible, the second letter is addressing some of these concerns that they've asked Paul about. And, and, and one of these concerns is the Lord's Supper. So why was this a concern to them? And why was it a concern to Paul? And how does that relate to us? Well, if you read verses 17 through 22, and, and we don't have time, um, I'll give you the synopsis. Paul writes to them and he speaks about divisions among them. Here we have what was supposed to be this unifying moment for the church coming together, uh, sharing in the Lord's Supper, and it was actually filled with division. So what did that division look like? Uh, in the early church, they did these things called love feasts. They're kind of alluded to in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, when the believers are breaking bread and sharing meals or meeting in each other's homes. Uh, Jude, verse 12, that book right before Revelation, speaks about love feasts. So we know that the early church, when they would come together, they would meet in the homes of the wealthy because they had more room, and they would gather together, and they would do essentially what you might know as a potluck or a pitch-in dinner. So the, the wealthy would bring according to their means, and the poor would bring according to their means, and they would pitch in and they would eat. And I don't know if any of you grew up in a church tradition like that. I did. Um, potlucks often had pots that did not have a whole lot of luck in them uh, from my youthful perspective. But you would have people who had money and, and they, would, they would maybe make a nice meatloaf or maybe not so nice meatloaf, but they would make meatloaf. They would, they would bring homemade chicken and noodles. Maybe they'd bring this elaborate salad. Maybe it was a, a pot roast and, and they had you know, carrots and potatoes and, and all that stuff in there. And you'd have people that didn't have quite as much. And so they'd, they'd take a couple cans of green beans and they'd put them in a crock pot and they'd throw some bacon bits in there, right? And, and, and they would bring that to the, to the pitch-in. And then uh, you would have people who didn't have even that much money, and so they would go through their, their, their refrigerator and get all the leftovers and put them in a Pyrex dish, and they'd call it a casserole, <laughs> and, and they would bring it, and, and you just hope that it wasn't the casserole that was left when you came through line, and uh, so, so they would bring that, and then there were others who maybe didn't have enough money even for that, so they just stopped by the store, uh, grab a bag of sunbeam bread, and bring it. And the church would gather, and we would all eat. And so everybody would go through line equally. And so even if I only brought a loaf of bread, I could still have the pot roast. And if I brought the pot roast, then I could, you know, joyfully skip right past the casserole, and I could go to the dessert table. You know, like, like we would all just kind of share in the meal uh, together. Well, the early church did this. They would all bring according to their means, but they would do something different. In, in the middle of this love feast, in the middle of this meal, when the church is all gathered together, they would stop. And as they would stop, they would take bread and they would talk about how it represents Jesus' body and they would tear it and they would give pieces to each other and they would take a cup of wine and they would talk about how that represented Jesus' blood. And so they would just kind of pause in the middle of this potluck and say, ultimately, even as we eat and as we share, 
this is all about Jesus. It was this moment of solidarity for them. It was this moment of being obedient to what Christ had asked. Uh, it was a moment of realizing that the heart of who they were as a church community, just something beautiful. Or that's what it was intended to be. When you read verses 17 through 22, you realize that in Hellenistic society, Greco-Roman society, wealthy homes typically had a formal dining room and an atrium. And so what was happening in Corinth was that the wealthy were coming together in the home of a wealthy Christian, and they were taking their pot roasts and their meatloafs and their uh, you know, homemade chicken and noodles, and they were putting them in the dining area, and they were telling all the poor people, here, why don't you put your casseroles, your loaves of bread, and your, your cans of green beans and carrots, and, and why don't you put them over there? And we're going to eat, but guess what? We're the wealthy are going to eat over here. We're going to indulge. We're going to drink some good wine. And you guys get to hang out over here and you get to eat from the meager things that you brought. But, but don't forget, we're all one. So at some point, we're going, to, we're going to take down the divide and we'll actually share in the Lord's Supper together. And Paul's like, what? Like, if you really are one, then why are you leaving some people out? And why are you indulging? And, and, and they're missing out. Like, like, if the Lord's Supper really is the Lord's Supper, then, then you should be sharing all this together. And that's why in verse 22, he says, I can't even praise you. Like, you're not observing the Lord's Supper. You are not doing this right. And so then Paul gives them a reminder that I believe breathed new life into old faith. And I think about my experience in the church, and I think about Sunday after Sunday uh, taking a cup of juice and a piece of bread. And I think that sometimes, maybe, uh, I've messed it up too. And so my hope is that we'll hear Paul's words and they'll speak to us and they'll breathe new life in, into your old faith. Uh, in, in verses 23 through 26, as Paul corrects this in their life, he just goes back to the basics. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, Master Jesus, King Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, the Lord's salvation, what he's done for you. Until he comes. So to these people who are struggling, he says, guys, here are the basics. You've got to understand that when you share in the Lord's Supper, it is an expression of obedience to Christ. Did you catch those early words in verse 23? For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Paul says, guys, you've got to remember, this came straight from the top. This came straight from Jesus. Uh, This came straight from the Lord and the master of everything. This came straight from the Alpha and the Omega. Like, I just simply told you what he has told me and his other followers uh, since the upper room. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. I think for us, uh, if we're going to identify with this, we have to remember that what we share in on a Sunday morning worship gathering or for those churches that worship on a Saturday night or Thursday night, a Sunday night, is it something that Jesus instituted? Like, we're simply doing something that he gave us, that he started. It all begins with him. 
It's an expression of obedience, not only because Jesus instituted it, but because Jesus commanded it. Look, look at verse 24. He took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he, he broke it. It's this picture of Jesus taking this loaf of, of unleavened bread and, and tearing it apart. And what did he say? He said, this is my body. This now has new meaning for you, guys, which is for you. And what are the next two words? Do this. It's a command. It's a perpetual command. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do do this and, and think of me and think of what I'm about to do and for followers of Jesus, what he has already done. When you eat this bread, think of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25 echoes the same thing concerning the cup. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, which would have been called the cup of blessing. And man, he gives them the most incredible blessing. He says, this is my blood. With my blood, I'm creating a new covenant with you, a new agreement, that no longer will mankind have to be separated from the divine. This is the cup. The cup is the new covenant in my blood. And there are those two words again. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The Corinthian believers, we as, I was going to say Lebanese believers, but that would make us probably from the country of Lebanon. So we as Midwestern Indiana, Boone County residents, uh, believers, uh, are to do this in remembrance of him. It's an expression of obedience to Christ. I love what uh, my professor in college, Bob Martin, he's no longer um, a part of this world. But in his book, God Our Father, he says this, while there are many ways in which Jesus can be remembered, there is but one way in which he asked to be remembered. There are a number of ways we can remember Jesus. Uh, Some of us get a little crazy when we're 22 and we tattoo a cross on our neck. Um, Some of us have crosses built inside our places of worship. Uh, Some of us uh, read our Bible at certain times during the day. Some of us sing songs. There are a number of ways that Jesus can be remembered. But there's only one in which he asked us to remember him. And that's the Lord's Supper. And so as we share in the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's table, uh, each and every week, we're doing it in obedience to Jesus as an expression of obedience. We're joining with 1,986 years of history and I can't do the math quickly, but if you multiplied 1,986 by 365 days, you counted for so many leap years, that's a lot of days when the church has gathered somewhere, someplace, and they've centered their lives around what Jesus asked them to do. And why would they center their lives around what Jesus asked them to do? Not just because it's an expression of obedience, but it's an expression of the heart of the gospel. Did you catch what Paul said in verse 26? that we'll do this and we'll proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Like, we'll continually speak of all that Jesus did until he comes. Because any time we, we eat that bread and we drink that cup, we speak of Christ's broken body and his blood poured out for us, that new covenant, and it's a reminder of the heart of the gospel. And now, for some of you that are new to faith, gospel is a weird word for you. You're like, is that what Aretha Franklin sings? Yes and no. And gospel is, you know, a, a proclamation of good news is what it means. There's some words in the English language that um, we probably should call um, pregnant terms. They're terms that when we um, 
begin to mine them have a lot of life inside. Uh, when you see a woman who is, is pregnant, you know by looking that, that there's way more going on beneath the surface. And someday, we'll see. The word gospel is that way, like beneath the surface is this idea of the greatest news ever told. That there's a God who formed mankind in his image. And mankind formed in the image of God decided that God didn't know what was best, and so we started doing it our way, and we sinned. And division came between God and mankind. But God loved mankind so much, he continued to work towards a resolution. And that resolution was his son, Jesus. And so whether it be through preserving Noah and then Abraham and then Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness on to the time of the judges and the kings, God was raising up and working towards this moment when the greatest king of all time would be born to a virgin in Bethlehem. And his name would be Jesus and he would save his people from their sins. And that everyone who believes in the name of the Lord Jesus has faith, has trust, would then be saved. His death that he died for sin would become their death as they died to sin and they would inherit his life in the same favor that God shows him. That's the good news, is that our wrongdoing and our sin doesn't define us because our God made a way. That's the gospel. It's pregnant with so much life and possibility. And that's when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're, we're, we're going into the beauty of the gospel and saying that Jesus did this. He gave his life. His life was broken for us. He, he poured out his blood for us to make this new covenant, this new agreement, this new contract with humanity that if we would believe in him, we could have everlasting life that begins not just when we die, but the day that we come to express faith in him, we're rescued and we start to live as these agents of, of rescue and restoration. That's what God supplies to us. And that's all evidenced in the Lord's Supper. You want to know why it's important? It's the heart of the gospel. And so something should happen when, when, when the Corinthians observe it, when, when we observe it, that we say, wow, God, this is what you did. This is who you are. This is what it means. It, it should help us be anchored in the purposes. It should serve like this, this rigging that, that keeps us attached to what's most important. So when we go out to our work, when we go out to our families, when we go out to these other places, that, that as we come back together, we're united about what matters most and it instills hope. Literally billions of followers of Jesus for 1,986 years have gathered around and eaten bread and, and they, they've drank from the cup because it pulls them together, reminds them of the heart of the gospel, the heart of the good news. And so it's important to us. Are you starting to see why this is so important to Lebanon Christian Church? We're a part of that body. But it's not just about obedience to Christ. It's not just about this expression of the heart of the gospel. It's an expression of unity of solidarity, of deep relationship with other believers. See, what bothers Paul so much in those early verses is that what was intended to remind people of what was most important and the, the relationship that they shared, a higher relationship they shared with one another because of Jesus, what was actually becoming this division between them. And that's not how it was supposed to be. And that's why he shares some pretty harsh words in verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, um, without regard for what it really is and what it stands for and the people around you, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. In essence, you make a mockery of what's supposed to be so meaningful. 
And so what does he encourage them? Verse 28. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. See, Paul knows that this observance of breaking bread and sharing in the cup was meant to break down the walls that stand between people that our world erects. Paul would rate a right to the Corinthian believers as he would to the Galatians that in Christ there's no more slave or free, no Jew or Gentile, no male or female, no rich or poor. That we're all one in Jesus Christ. See, one of the most powerful things about the Lord's Supper is that it was to help people look to those sitting next to them, in front of them, behind them. So to be reminded of, of, of how in Christ, it's not about how much money I make. It's not about the color of my skin, whether it's light, whether it's dark, whether it's somewhere in between. It's not about my nationality. It's not about where I'm from. It's about Jesus and what he says about me. It's about Jesus and what he says about you. It should unify us. It should draw us together. It should, it should urge us to, to, to tear down the walls that come between us through conflict. It should, should, should drive us to forgive each other, to comfort each other, to be present with each other in grief. It should be this moment of solidarity when we gather with other people and we say, yes, this life is hard. Yes, this world is difficult, but we're in this together. And guys, it goes far beyond even this room. I woke up this morning to an email um, I read it at 5 a.m. I'm not sure when it was sent. It's from a minister that I greatly respect, and uh, he was asking me if we would consider as a church of having uh, a man named I.J. Law come and speak in late April or early May. That name probably means nothing to many of you. But here's what I'll tell you. I.J. Law is a name that you will be reading about for decades to come. He is one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the world. He's Indian. He's been working in India for decades and seeing millions of people come to Christ. And as I read that, I thought, man, I got to get on this this week. We got to see if we can find a way to get him here to share. And I'm committed to doing whatever it takes to make that happen. But the second thought I had, knowing what we were going to share about today, is thinking that even as my friend wrote that email, which is already Sunday, his time, that there were millions of believers in India who are doing the very same thing that we'll do. They were taking bread. They were drinking from a cup. In obedience to Christ, the heart of the gospel, thinking about one another, anchoring to what matters most. And that thought gave way as I was getting up this morning to our friends in Haiti, uh, in Peridot, Haitian Christian Outreach, and how right now they're gathered in a, in, in a wood slat building, wind blowing through, and they're preparing to share in the Lord's Supper right alongside of us. And then my mind drifted to my experiences with our mission partner, TCM, when we go to Austria and we're at House Edelweiss and there are students gathered from countries all over Eastern Europe, Central Asia, Northern Africa. And how as someone shares through Russian or Czech uh, about Christ and his body and his blood, how how we all share in that together. And and then my mind drifts to not only believers that are living today, believers down the road at our other churches in town and in Boone County, but that we're sharing in something that believers have shared in for 1,986 years. It is something that has to do with unity 
and solidarity, this deep relationship with each other. Actually, the word that Paul uses in, in, in this a passage is a word called koinonia. Um, I hesitate to use it because we've just kind of hijacked it. It's a term that we translate as fellowship, but, but we've just done really bad in the Midwest of, of handling what fellowship is. So uh, fellowship is something we, we, we go watch a ball game together and we were fellowshipping, right? Um, uh, you know, we, we loved our life group time because it was fellowship. But fellowship is really this deep, deep, deep sharing. Now it can happen at life groups. It can probably happen in the stands at a baseball field, but it's more than just hanging out with people. Like it's this deeply shared life. And, and that's what took place in the Lord's Supper as people come together and all the divisions fall away, all the differences fall away. And we think about our Jesus and all that he's done and all that it means. It puts a bounce in our step and hope in our heart. I mean, maybe this would help as we think about how important this is even for us, uh, is that when we come to think about the Lord's Supper, it's really about thinking upward, inward, and outward. If we're going to honor Christ in our communion each and every week, and here's what I would encourage you. Let's not make communion, the Lord's Supper, something that we only do when we gather together as a larger body like this. If you have a life group and you meet with them in your home or, or here at the church, what would happen if, if during your life group time, during your love feast time, that, that you would pause and you would say, remember, guys, this is what it's all about. It's all about Jesus, all about what he's done. And as you do that, would you think upward? Every week when you, when you take those, those two cups, would your first thought go upward? And would you think about, God, this is who you are. This is what you've done. God, God this is amazing what you think about humanity and the, 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 the lengths that you would go to love us and to redeem us. Would you think upward? And then after you think upward, would you think inward? Would you say, God, you did all this for me? What, what should this mean for my life? If you have a, a greater kingdom, if you have a greater way, then God, how, how, how am I going to live in that? Maybe you've lived a life of, of disobedience this week. Can this one act of obedience get you back on track? Can you, can you look inward? But don't leave it at upward and inward. Why don't you look outward? Why don't you do the awkward thing of pausing once you take them out of the tray and, and looking down the road to your left and looking down the road to your right. Uh, if you're in the rows that have people in front of you, look in front of you and realize that you're sharing in this Jesus life with all of these people in this room. And maybe you think just a little bit longer and you think about what it might be like to be sitting in Turkana, Kenya, where our missionaries Eric and Kate are and what it's like to share in communion there. And maybe you think about maybe what's happening down the road at a Lighthouse Baptist Church or a Freedom Church or a New Hope Church in Whitestown or Traders Point. No, we're sharing in this together. Upward, inward, outward. I think that if we get to the place where we think upward, inward, outward, an expression of obedience, an expression of the heart of the gospel, an expression of deep unity and solidarity and relationship with others, then suddenly what seemed old has new life. It's fresh again. New life for old faith. Maybe for you, upward, inward, outward is a little too complex. They're, they're big words. Maybe you think of it this way. Maybe it's just he, me, we. It's what he has done. It's what he has done for me. But it's not what he has done for me alone, that we are in this together. Upward, inward, outward, he, me, and we. Here's a really practical application today. If you're a follower of Jesus, in just a moment we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together. And so if, if you're one of the individuals that's going to be helping pass those trays, you can go ahead and head to the back and um, get set up. 
And what I want you to do as those trays are passed is to really take time to think upward, inward, and outward. Reclaim the, the fresh air uh, to something that maybe has grown stale or commonplace for you. If you are not a follower of Jesus, here's what I encourage you to do. Just, just, just take the journey with us and think upward, inward, outward. Think upward. Maybe you're not going to eat the bread and drink the cup, but will you think about the potential of what this could mean for your life? If this is real, if God really loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, what would that mean for your life? Think upward. Think inward. What would need to change in me or, or what would be different in me or, or what would it look like for me if I was following Jesus? And think outward. Like if God really feels this way about humanity, what does that mean for the value, the worth, the dignity of every human life? And maybe God uses those thoughts of upward, inward, outward for you to just draw you in a little bit to his mystery, to draw you just a little bit closer. Maybe you're already there. Maybe you just have not yet surrendered to him in faith. Maybe this is what prompts you and gives you the courage to talk to that follower of Jesus that you know, that you work with, that you, that you, that you see in this room that you recognize from, whether it be a, a children's event or a student event or, or from the local football game. Like, like maybe, maybe you get the courage to come say, God, God, help me. Help me know how to follow this Jesus. Maybe you take the step to, to talk to one of our ministers or send an email. But maybe this draws you in. Christ took his body and he broke it. And he gave it to us. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup, the cup of the new covenant of his blood. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for something so simple yet so profound. God, help us as we unite around your supper and communion each and every time we gather. Draw us into its mystery. It's in your name we pray and trust.